28 and I'm trying to shape history Put on from the sky for some strength to take with me Line up the stars, uh, fly away quickly And push the world forward like a tidal wave hit me I ride the wave swiftly, I fear no man, check my titles mate quickly Came from the sky with the light of day in me, you grew my own wings G'day guys, welcome to episode 191 of Ask Jack D When Rosie told me it was episode 191 this morning, I absolutely couldn't believe it The footage is live over on Snapchat by the way, but 191 is a lot of episodes We're very close to 200 And after 191 episodes, I'm very glad that for the first time uh, we're doing our first guest show, uh, and what makes me even happier is that we're doing it with a man that's perhaps been one of my best mates for many, many years, and perhaps one of the most formative mentors for me ever. Uh, seed funder of PayPal, he also funded Fishburners here, which is a co-working space in Sydney. Uh, Mr. Peter Davison came into PayPal at a valuation of around $500,000 in a seed, 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 seed round. Uh, for those of you that are familiar with the story, you'll know they exited to eBay for 1.5. Today, I think the market cap's around 47-ish billion, that is. Um, so this is a guy who's been a VC throughout the 90s in the States. He's come back to Australia. He's done some incredible things, both in entrepreneurship, in investment, in philanthropy. And uh, he, and he's also been a, an all right friend of mine, you could say. Uh, off and on. <laughs> Depending on what mood we're in yeah. in any given day. <laughs> Mr. Peter Davison, ladies and gentlemen, hey thank guys. you for joining us, mate. Thank you. And he's also worn his unjumper. Yes, unathletics. Yeah. This is what a formative mentor looks like. That's, okay. yeah, yeah. Unathletics Berlin dudes. Okay, that's, that's what it so takes. Mate, you've just come back. When did you get back? Because you're now living in China. Yeah. So I, I came back beginning of this week. Beginning just of the week. Doing a doing a visa run and back and to china at the end of this week at the end of the week yes and then you're coming back again soon yes for, us, to for me you guys yeah yeah he's a good man as usual it <laughs> yeah. doesn't matter where in the world he is that's right we you call him back bribe me with wine and beer and yes we're, like, we're good yeah 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 that's always worked all righty guys let's get into it so this uh the format of this episode is going to we're going to feel our way through it as we go through it rosie's got some questions uh, as Peter and I have discussions, I'm sure I'll have questions for Pete. He may even have questions for me. Mm. Uh, so we'll just let it roll however uh, it sort of pans out. We're kind of feeling our way through this one. I want to start, before I throw it over to Rosie to facilitate the rest of the conversation, there's one question that uh, raised my eyebrow over social media over the last few days, which was, I don't even know who it was from, but did it come up on the screen or something? Uh, who pitched you initially from PayPal? Pitched us. Uh, well, I guess it wasn't a formal pitch, but it was it was Peter Thiel, the guy that seed funded Facebook. Yeah. So in, in fact, it was really just a kind of uh, informal chat, and and you know we didn't really believe a word the guy said at the time, to be honest. And and I mean neither did he, so it was kind of pretty <laughs> pretty square. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, you know, he pitched us an idea that we just thought was bullshit, right? But we didn't think he was bullshit. We thought he was like a, the guy could make it happen. Mm. But it was like that. It was like I'm sitting there. He didn't know much about tech, and I'm just sitting there going, "Yeah, yeah, good idea, man." Oh. So, so at one point you said, "You're in the states pretending to be a VC." He was there pretending to be an entrepreneur. Yes. So you're a good, good match. Good match. Two, two guys pretending that we're we're something <laughs> awesome, and somehow it all worked out. It's good, good work. Yeah. 
And the other thing, again, before I throw it over to Rosie, because I obviously understand some of the backstory around this, which you've often spoken to me about how Teal, particularly in the early days, was great at investor, mm. I don't know, relations, relations. if you like, yes. and, and managing that conversation. Can you give us a couple of minutes on, on given how early this was, both in Peter's career and in the PayPal journey, what were some of the things he did well mm. that, that was able to rally the investors? Okay. First of all, you've got to understand that, that yeah, he was, he, he was nothing like he is now. Mm. He was like mm. a pretty clueless guy who was dead keen on being successful. Mm. Mm. And that's what we saw in him at the time. Mm. But pretty well nothing else. Uh, you know, he had a good network. He was a Stanford grad. He was a, you know, he was a top performer in what he did, mm. but not in the area that he was trying to tackle. Which is amazing to hear, because for those of you who don't know Peter, he was obviously the founder of, uh, what was it called then, before it became PayPal? Well, I first started off as Fieldlink, then it became yeah. Confinity. That's right, and then they merged with Elon and that's became right. PayPal. That's right, that's uh, right. But, you know, Peter's recently written a book called Zero to One, mm. uh, and he's a highly globally respected entrepreneur and investor, for those mm. of you that aren't familiar with, with, with Peter. So to hear these beginnings is often very interesting. Yeah, so, so, so what was the question again, man? <laughs> <laughs> oh, investor relations. Talk to us about investor relations. <laughs> yes. So, well, one thing he one thing he was great at. One thing he was really good at was. Sorry, no. Um, was chess. He was a chess champion. So he was very strategic. So he 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 knew how to work investors. He he found it really hard to raise his first investment. We were his first non-family and friends investors. So we were the. You know the friend, friends, family, and fools. You're the fools. You can work out which one we were. <laughs> yeah. So, so he, we were the only non-institutional investors. So he had to somehow pull this off, and the way he he used to do it was to take the positive lessons that a investor would give him, because mm. you'd always get positive and negative, mm. and he'd sell it to each of the other investors. Yeah. Yeah. And eventually, he'd sort of all get them feeling like they're all everyone else is excited and investors are a little bit like sheep yeah. to be honest because yeah. no one can see the future so they so they so they look for signs of when to really jump and and you've got to play that to make them to make them take that risk so that's what he was good at he was really good at and he was really good at listening to you like he's a really good listener if there's one thing that we that tipped us over it mm. was the fact that he could, he had a lot of, he wasn't this big cocky, you know, entrepreneurs telling mm. us how, he's li he genuinely listened to us and cared about where we were coming from. Mm. Mm. Uh, and that made us think, well, you know, because we tended to think we were awesome and he would listen to us and, and, and as it turned out, we did give him the idea for PayPal, so, so we weren't all that, all that bad. kidding ourselves, <laughs> only 80%. <laughs> Um, but but that's he was a good listener and it worked out really well yeah, as, as a yeah. result and, and we wouldn't have invested if we didn't have his ability to listen. Yeah, no. yeah. And just, just to add to that, when, when Pete says he's you know positive negative lessons, great investor relationship relations is around taking if one investor gives you an indication that they may invest or one investor goes to the next round. Every time one investor progresses forward. You then take that information, take that progression, and tell all of the other investors. And so you, you're sort of creating this story 
that there's a whole bunch of people moving toward an outcome, which is investment. And that can help create urgency, it can help create scarcity. Obviously, you never want to be dishonest, but it's around taking the facts and taking what's said mm. and using it very purposefully uh, throughout a bit of a campaign. Yeah, and it sounds right. like that was, that was a key ingredient for Peter early on. That's right. You know, and the other thing you need to bear in mind is, you know, you, you're going to have a lot of belief in yourself because this could all fall yeah. flat yeah. If, if, if it all goes wrong and you've, and you've said something that's overextended yourself. Yeah. You've got to play that carefully, yeah. right? So, you, you know, you're trying to say, you're trying to paint this vision of the future. That's frankly bullshit, right? Because it doesn't, doesn't exist yet and no one knows the future. So you've got to convince everybody that this is going to happen. Yeah. So, uh, so it's a dangerous game, and the only way, you sh the only reason why you should get into it is if you genuinely believe your own bullshit. Yeah, yeah. Right? Which which entrepreneurs must. They must. And this is where Peter and I often di we we differ on a lot of things, and, and there might be some really good arguments today, hopefully. Uh, but one is, you know, Peter says the vision's bullshit. I I I, I don't think it's bullshit, and I and I, I think you kind of say it tongue in cheek. Tell me if I'm wrong, but. I think that you, an entrepreneur has to have a vision for what they're creating in the future. That's first and foremost our job. If we don't know what we're creating next year, the year after, year after, uh, then who does, right? And, and, and what are we leading toward if we don't know what we're leading toward? Mm. Um, so albeit it hasn't happened yet, so it is very hearsay, very speculative. Well, exactly. No, there's no doubt what you said. An entrepreneur must have a, very, a clear vision. Yeah. And must, you know, I must really believe that vision. Yeah. Uh, the vision will change. Yeah. Will Particularly change. Particularly in the early days. So what you're really selling is your ability to really uh, see see through a, a a change that's happening in the world, wherever mm. it happens mm. to be. Mm. You have to have that vision because that's what drives you, and that's what unites all the people you need to corral to yeah. to, to yeah. your team. Yeah. So when I say bullshit, I don't mean it's all lies, and all, I don't mean that. I mean, yeah. I mean it's something that that it's a story. It's a story that you really believe. You have to believe. You have to believe. Yeah. And and sometimes it comes true. I remember we were on stage a few years ago, and someone asked you the the number one ingredient of a successful entrepreneur. Do you remember what your answer was? Uh, it changes every time. <laughs> <laughs> it does change every time. Right. Which one was it's it? Delusion. Delusion. See, what I mean by that is because, is, is look, most of these, now we're talking the, the tech entrepreneur space, which is high, high growth. Most of them in that field fail after they've been funded. So you do, but they all have to believe that they're going to be the next Elon Musk or whoever else. So it is a bit of a delusion and occasionally the delusion comes true. Mm. So... So that's what I mean, that you can't know the future, yeah. but, but, it, but you have to believe that you do. Yeah. That's yeah. why I think it's bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And in my view, you have to create it in your mind in order to create it in the world, right? And I think, I, I actually think uh, the majority of, particularly early stage businesses, entrepreneurs, maybe, maybe, it's, maybe this is more true in Australia, but often shy away from creating a vision for the future because they go, oh, we're just guessing and I don't really know what's going to happen and oh, i just be estimating. And it's kind of like, well, that's the point. You're the person that has to draw that line in the sand and say two years from now, three years from now, five years from now, you know, in terms of our vision, our vision is probably a 20, 30, 40 year vision, right? Now that's, that's been 
you know, similar to what you were saying before. In the early days, I, well, I was just like every, everyone I just described. I didn't have a vision. And then when I started Entourage, it sort of took me three years. And now we've been around for six. So, so this vision is our current vision of, you know, pushing civilization forward by enabling more people to live on purpose and, and our mission of to be the world's number one education institution for entrepreneurs. Uh, that took me, you know, probably 25, 26 years to, to get clear on that that was going to be my life's work. And it took me, in terms of the Entourage, probably three or four years to craft it. And, and to get to a point where it's not changing regularly anymore. Um, and it is not, not set in stone for us, but it is, it is very formative. And, and it, that's our North Star that we're fighting toward. I think the key is, yeah, I think that's it. I think the key is you have to be the change agent. Yeah. So you have to see a change in the world. Now, you're not exactly sure how that's going to manifest as a business opportunity, but you see a change. And, and this is very true of Jack and what he did, he saw a change in the world and he rode that change and he led that change and he brought the people with him on that change. Now how that works in terms of a business model, in terms of what the business is going to look like, that's going to evolve. Yeah, that's but, exactly right. but the key point is that you're the change agent that brings the people along that you need to make the change happen. And I think that's I think that's the the key point is that, that, is the key that point. you do have to so so you do have to recognise a change in the world somewhere, mm. and that's not easy. Mm. Mm. But I think I think Jack, in the same way that I started Fishburners, there was a sense in the air that entrepreneurship was happening, mm. and so so there there is some so that vision was not all bullshit. Mm. In fact, mm. it was quite quite legitimate. Exactly how it was going to manifest. You know, to be change, determined. To be determined, yeah. but it, yeah. but it was. I think the key point is that you're a change agent. Mm. You're telling all the, the the powers that be, it's got to be different. It's mm. not. This is not how the world has to be. I know it's been like this for fifty years, mm. and you've lived your life like this, a professional guy that's worked up through the ranks. But I'm sorry, mate. It, the world changes, mm. and 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 we're going to lead the change to another place. So so I think, I think that's what Jack did, and I think that's what 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 a, a legitimate entrepreneur tries to do yeah. be the change agent yeah absolutely should we take some questions from the audience because this yeah. could this could go on for <laughs> yeah, days I know. I know. We, yeah. the girls yeah. about to get out some wine yeah. yeah yeah rosie um so i guess while we're on the top of the topic of vision we have a question from tash williams hey jnp i really want to know from both of you what your vision of the future was like in the early days of operating and what, what has come to fruition and what has completely surprised you? Okay. Well, to be honest, the way I started, I just really didn't like my job. And I, I felt, you know, I was, a, I was a very ambitious person. And I was in a job that, well, every job I took on, I just didn't like. I didn't think, I thought it was like not rewarding me enough. And so, to be honest, I just wanted to get out and do something something big so I didn't really care what it was to be honest as long as I was the dude that was running that and um, so it's so I that was the fundamental driver so becoming a venture capitalist in the early days was just something that happened that I thought was a good opportunity and it, you know and, and, and since then I haven't I've been a part-time angel investor and I've done a lot of other things besides that so it's very much changed and it's constantly changing and I love that fact that I can redefine myself whenever I want 
you know, whenever I get bored or something, I can try something different. So it's always, for me, it's always constantly evolving. It's always been different. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, for me, there's been common themes throughout it, but it's definitely become clearer, you know, as I've sort of progressed through life and progressed through my career. I think vision is an interesting thing. I think that if, you, if you're talking about, firstly, I've always come from a position of what's my life's work, right? And for those of you that have read Unwritten or, or know a little bit about me, you'll know that my parents ran a not-for-profit organisation when I was little and they'd take long-term unemployed youth off the street and they'd put them through you know, programs and then place them into employment. Uh, the, the best at what they did in, in the country uh, but they were reliant on government funding. We had some of them living with us, and you know these kids would come in half dead, and then they'd go through this process, and they they then uh, go into sustainable employment. Uh, and then the government changed the way they issued capital out for not for profits, and all, the organisation break the cycle collapsed. So, at a very young age, I had identified that the traditional system doesn't work for anybody. I was five when when they started, well, when they were running breaking the cycle. Uh, traditional system doesn't work for everybody, uh, and you need to develop something, and you can do this under a not-for-profit banner, but you need to develop something that's financially sustainable in and of itself. And so at a very young age, I was fortunate enough to know that my life's work was going to revolve around education. I just thought I was going to become a politician because all I ever wanted to do was change and and help influence, uh, mainly speaking, education, because I saw that as a lever to influence our culture. but, you know, it's exactly what Pete said before. That's kind of like, you, I always had this sort of understanding that's where my life was. But how that transpired and how that translated, like my first business was a business-to-business call centre. I hated call centres. Why did I go into it? Because I had an opportunity to and I knew I needed to become an entrepreneur if I was going to be able to influence anything in life. And so, you know, I had a couple of mates that were starting a, a, a business-to-business call centre. And so I, so I jumped at the opportunity and borrowed money from a bank that very reluctantly lent me $20,000 and, and started a business I knew nothing how to run and stuffed it up, right? And so, uh, you know, it's kind of like that meme that goes around on Facebook. It's that whole, what are people, what people think success looks like and it's got point A, point, and then there's this arrow going up. Mm. And then it's what success actually looks like and it's this whole fucking, yeah. you know. Yeah. That's, that's often very true. It took me, you know, I was probably in business for eight years before I had articulated my and our vision, mission, values to the degree and to the degree of certainty that we hold today. Mm. Rosie, she's snapping. Mm-hmm. Do you have Snapchat, Peter? Uh, no, I don't. Ooh. It's got WeChat. It's got WeChat, I'm Chinese now. <laughs> <laughs> okay, next question comes from Matt. What are your thoughts about Elon Musk and what he's achieving since PayPal? Okay. Okay, do you want me to have a crack at that? Yeah, a crack at that. Elon. Yeah. Well, first of all, as a human being, I have I have great respect for him, okay? Because he really does lay it on the line, really backs himself and he, you know, he really really tries hard uh, to make super big changes. So as a human being, you, you're going to just totally respect that guy. As an entrepreneur, you know, I don't think he's the type of guy that you should be looking up to, to be honest. I just don't. Because he's a, he took all his PayPal money and he just bet, bet it all on two big things. Now, they came good, but they may have been massive disasters as well. They were very close to being massive disasters. And, you know, Jack and I might disagree about whether it was his awesome that turned it around or, or whether it was luck. But, but <clears throat> I don't think you should look to Elon as, as 
a role model of entrepreneurship. I think you should draw from his story about how change is possible and how big change is possible and, and, and get some inspiration from that. But, mate, the guy is, the guy's, a, the guy's, you know, a crazy entrepreneur. <laughs> He's in, you know, like who does that? It reminds me of someone. Who, 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 who goes, who goes, he says we're, we're going to have things on Mars. Who says we're going to have like a solar city? You know, he's a very, very big thinker. And, and from that perspective, you have to give him a lot of, lot of credit. But I don't think he's a, a role model for the vast majority of entrepreneurs. He's just an inspiration, but he's not a role model. That's, that's what I think. Yeah. I, great respect, and yeah, I hope yeah, yeah. he continues doing great yeah, things. Yeah, no, it's a good point. Yeah. And, you know, whenever I talk about anybody, and again, you know, I've said this in the past and in books and stuff, but uh, I don't look to or at anybody to model them or to copy them, but I do look at the guiding principles. So, um, mate, when you say he took his PayPal money and he invested it, you know, what was it, SpaceX and Tesla and yeah. Solar City, mm -hmm. uh, why is that? unintelligent in your view because <clears throat> it's not unintelligent i mean it's but, but there was a, well as 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 a as a role model for an entrepreneur to yeah, there's such high risk projects that almost failed yeah and probably in another time and place you know if we'd done it a year before or after would have failed yeah. so it would have gone come from this awesome guy who co-founded PayPal was this awesome guy, you know, who tried to change the world and it all failed. Really sad. And we'd never hear of Elon Musk again. If the timing wasn't right, and he didn't control the timing because NASA bailed him out on SpaceX mm. and he didn't know, you know, he wasn't. Mm. Mm. So how is that vision and foresight that you're going to get bailed out by NASA? Mm. So, so... I, I just think it's too risky for a human, a human life. You know, as an entrepreneur, your goal is freedom, in my view, is personal freedom. That's so that's, that's the difference for me. And, I, and, I, and, and, and in the case of Elon, I think that's the difference as well. Yeah, is I know. that Elon's, uh, you know, life goals, if you like, aren't freedom, they're contribution. So, so he That's has right. a he has a vision to enable the future of humanity, and he and he even recognizes that to take you know his PayPal money and do it was uh, commercially financially probably a little bit foolish, but in his view you know what he what he says I understand is, yeah it, it, it's so important that I, I put understand. a notch. Okay, so I understand. So if your goal is to change the world, then the fact here's the fact, you are probably going to fail. But the world's going to be a better place for you having tried. So, so you, can, you can be a moral, morally justified entrepreneur. You can be morally confident in what you do. You are probably going to fail and fail badly. Okay? But, you know, if you want to change the world in this massive way, but the world will be a better place and the world needs people like you. And it's people like Elon Musk that move the world forward. So don't get me wrong. These people change the world, no question. But most of them who try to change the world don't change the world and end up doing something completely different, going off and being a teacher or something, something else, or running, <laughs> running a used car shop or something. But, but, but 
But you see, you get my point. We need those people. Yeah. We love those people. They are the people that change the world. Yeah. But you, your goal is is, well, I'm not going to tell you your goal. Yeah. Well, that's right. But yeah. So that's, that's right. <coughs> you, you choose. For, your own for goals. me, I I actually and it goes. This is the thing, right? And if 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 there's one lesson or one message that is inherent in everything I do and everything Pete does. It's find who you are and live a life according to that. And so any disagreement here is a really good lesson to go, Pete has one view, Jack has another view, you may have a third view, someone else might have a fourth and a fifth view, or you might share a view of mine or you might share a view of Pete. It doesn't, there's no right or wrong, it's all about who you are and what's right and true for you, right? My version of Elon's, well, sorry, my uh, view of Elon's version of entrepreneurship is actually more pure than the financially driven version of entrepreneurship. Because when we say he took his money and he invested it, high risk, high speculative, long fucking, you know, long game, long, long game payoff, can't even list SpaceX because he's trying to get to Mars, so the market aren't going to invest in it. Um, but does it anyway and puts his money behind it because he believes in the vision. Mm, to me, that's, that's a more pure version of entrepreneurship than what's the financially responsible or financially intelligent way to deploy my capital, right? Well, no, I agree with you. I agree with your saying, but I wouldn't go as far as saying that's, that, that it's about being financially responsible. No, you, you have to be financially irresponsible to yeah. some degree. Yeah. But there are, vers- there are different levels of risk. And I think you as an entrepreneur need to know how much you can stomach. You can stomach. You can stomach. And now I think Elon believes that he can stomach a lot more than, than he really can. And he, he has. So he's proven, you know, you, you can say he's proven me wrong. But you have to say, I can stomach this risk and I can overcome this risk. You have to believe you can overcome it. It's not like you sit down and go, well, I've got a 20% chance of success here. No, you have to believe you have a 100% chance. But when you start out on a project, you sh- in my view, you should take on those projects where the risk is rationally justifiable within yourself as to what, what level of danger and risk you can overcome. And I think some people overstretch themselves, and I think Richard mm. Branson did this as mm. well. Mm. And some guys get lucky, mm. but we don't hear about the stories about those really up-and-coming entrepreneurs who back themselves on the second project and we never hear about again mm. we don't hear about them mm. no one mm. writes about them mm. so but to your point earlier so that that can be the danger in looking at an elon who, who extends himself so far yes is that if that's outside of an individual's risk appetite and they try and model that because that's what elon did mm. then that wouldn't be useful that's right. and so it comes down to that's your values your vision what what's your version of entrepreneur why the fuck are you in this game uh, and what your capabilities are yeah. and how far you can stretch yourself. It's, it's still a guess, yeah. but some guesses are better than others. Yeah. Like, yeah. You know, and I think yeah. Elon's guess is uh, a little bit off, but <laughs> he's, pretty, you know, he's come good, so what, who am I? So. <laughs> you know I mean? Love that. Beautiful. Okay. All right, next question. I'm excited to hear the answers to this, guys. So it comes from Jacob Stone from Facebook. There's a lot of debate around whether successful startups, especially in the tech space, just get lucky or whether it's due to hard work. Uh, what are your opinions on this? Does luck play a key part in success of a business? Yeah. <laughs> you have a guinea pig. Yeah. <laughs> um, so what I would say is 
uh, and Peter and I, again, have a different view on this. My view is that tech startups can be slightly different mm. in that, you know, Peter and I have visited um, all sorts of different businesses and incubators in Australia and New Zealand and all of that sort of stuff. And uh, occasionally, particularly over in the States, probably more so than, than in, in, in Australia or New Zealand, but particularly, you know, one, one can really pop uh, and there's more luck involved in that play. Um, uh, you know, you don't want to say the entrepreneur. I don't want to say the entrepreneur got lucky. He'll happily say that. Uh, but sometimes the entrepreneur gets lucky to, and, and, and successful to a disproportionate degree to their competence or experience yes, yes. as an entrepreneur. However, the view I come from when you look at, and Branson's a good example for this, right? Because Bran Branson has been uh, probably, again, and I, I even hate using the word, but probably a little bit more lucky than most entrepreneurs. Um, however, what I would say is this, if you go back to Branson's uh, first big you know, kick that sort of gave him his financial foundation, it was Mike Oldfield's Tubular Bells, mm. right? So he signed Mike Oldfield's Virgin Records, Oldfield, uh, Mike releases Tubular Bells, and it goes off, right? And so, yeah, record sales, concerts, tours, all of this, and, and, and Branson starts bringing it. And so in that point in time, we can go, he was lucky, right? I have a different view. My view is this. He, at that point in time, he was he was in business probably for about 10 years up until that point. He had had failures, he had had businesses that did okay, he had surrounded himself with artists, he had, he had stuck through and sustained through the failures, and then he had Mike Oldfield and Tubular Bells. And so in that instance, fortune favoured him. Now you could go, well, he got lucky without Mike Oldfield, but the, my other argument around this is there are a hell of a lot of record execs out there that have had a Mike Oldfield and had a Tubular Bell where fortune favoured them for a minute or a year um, and, and, and they didn't become Richard Branson and, and, and I don't know their names. Who signed Britney Spears? You know, some people will probably know, but I, I certainly don't, right? Who signed One Direction? Who, who gives a fuck? We, we don't know their name. We don't know who they are. And so my view, and so my view is this. For the, for, for the individual that stays in the game long enough and doesn't give up and doesn't get crushed financially, There'll be instances where fortune will favour you, Mike Oldfield's Tubular Bells. There'll be instances where fortune goes against you, British Airways, Virgin, Atlantic, mm. right? And it's, in my view, it's not the instances that occur, whether it's lucky or unlucky, it's how an individual, or in this instance, an entrepreneur, plays the Mike Oldfields or plays the British. It's how the individual responds. And do they have the stomach to stay in the game, uh, is my view around the luck conversation okay okay uh, this is we don't have that great a disagreement on that mm. it, you know it's just how we contextualize it mm. like for example uh, you know I think everything is luck everything but let me because we're lucky to live in this day and age we're lucky yep. to live in a capitalist society Agreed. we're lucky to meet the people we do yep everything there's an element of luck that we take for granted so we're always taking the things that you know, that the people we meet for granted and the, and the situations we find ourselves in. Yeah, yeah. But uh, I, I agree with you. It's what you do with your luck. Uh, you know, I, I don't think, for example, I don't think Jack, what Jack's done is luck, okay? This is, I think there is a path in entrepreneurship that isn't that lucky, that you can do things that, that you can stomach 
that within your capabilities, within your financial appetite and, and, and uh, you know, ability to, to, to move a change forward. I think there are, uh, this is what I'm trying to say, is that by looking at the, the big superstars that go off to, mm. this is not the way. Mm. Look at the guys that have built businesses without luck with hard work and mm. finding the right people and, and moving it forward and riding a wave. Now, is riding the wave luck? This is where, you know, finding the wave. To be honest, I, 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 I'm on the fence about that. But what I do know is this. Young people tend to have a better sense of change in the world than old people. Mm. So... Provided you keep, provided you really understand what's happening in, in, in what's happening around you, you know, it, when you have a sense, a strong sense that this is really, there's a real change in the world, I think young people can make a rational decision to jump on that change, not to think too large, too far ahead, and just drive that change forward within their capabilities. That's not luck. I don't think that's luck. I think what is luck is going, oh, let's do a payment system. And I don't know anything about payments, but I can raise a lot of money and we can spend it and let's be all billionaires, hooray. And then it happens. Or let's like, uh, let's uh, go to Mars and, you know, hey man, and let's put all our money down. And then, and then it all almost screws up. And then NASA says, hey man, you're a cool guy. Look, you can do that. $1.6 billion. Yeah, it's, yeah, that's to me, that's luck. That's that's you know that's that's much more lucky. I think there are paths for young entrepreneurs to to find freedom, potentially find really big exits, but not aim for that. Aim for freedom. Aim for making a contribution to the world yeah. in a small, compared to Elon Musk and so way. And who knows? Maybe you will be Elon Musk. But you don't set out to do that. You set out to make a change. And you, you set out to make a change in a, in a rational, you know, semi-rational understanding of what you're capable of. That's what, that's, that's what I think. Yeah, yeah. Beautiful. Rosie. Okay, we're on the last question now from Elaine Doig. Hey, Jack, it would be great if you both chatted and compared, compared notes on workplace culture and, of course, your views around leadership. Mm. Views around leadership. <coughs> mm. You want to kick this off? <laughs> okay. Well... I'm, I'm a leader of one person, and that's myself. I mean, Jack is a leader of many people, but the person that I, I, only, I, I just always try to be the leader of my life. And, uh, and sometimes that puts me in situations where I'm leading others, but ultimately I, I want to be a leader of my life. And I don't want to be stuck in something that I don't want to do. So I, I, th I think that from my life, that's the lesson that I can take. Jack has a lot deeper experience than me already uh, in, in, in leading a group of people and corralling a bunch of people around him. These are things, skills I don't have. Uh, so so I, think, I think Jack would be better off answering that question. Mm. I, yeah, there's, Pete's always far too humble and there's often sort of disguised wisdom in what he's saying. And that, that is, for me, exactly what he just said is where leadership starts is you can't be a leader unless you are effectively and successfully leading yourself. So 
What is my life about? What, what, what are my personal values? What do I want to do with my time? What brings me joy? What makes me curious? What direction do I want to head in? That's, you know, my challenge with so much of what's written on leadership, all the literature and, and in my view, kind of the bullshit, is, is, it, is it's all about tactic rather than about character, right? And it's all about almost manipulation rather than resonance. And in my view, resonance comes from know thyself, be very clear on your path, be very clear on your vision, be very clear on who you are, right? How do you get clear on who you are? Self-exploration, read books, journal, meditate, have great conversations with great people, watch videos and discussions like this, after this, turn it off, go and journal. Ask yourself the questions Rosie's asked us. What are your answers to these questions? Right, so explore yourself and explore the world. And, and when I say explore the world, I don't necessarily mean travel, although that's a great way to do it, but explore different industries, hang out with different people, uh, purposefully pursue different uh, experiences, right? Because the more whole of a person, like I, in terms of leadership for us, it's vision, mission, values, and authenticity, right? That's like, <laughs> that's my leadership principle summed up in four words because it's not about sit across from someone and say this and sit like that and where, like that's all just bullshit. Authenticity resonates and you can only be authentic when you know yourself or when you're leading you and your own life. Mm. So I think, I think there's a lot of wisdom in what Petey said. Uh, that's the last question, is it? Because I, mm -hmm. I have more. How are we okay. going for time? We have gone a little over time. Okay, okay. That's, that's all right. Okay. That is okay. Yeah. All right, so guys, uh, there's this person that uh, commented on my Facebook page when we asked, does anyone have any questions for Peter Davison? These questions come from a, a guy called Peter Davison. And uh, he says, someone asked him about why he is interested yeah. in the private life of Albert Einstein. Mm. Private life of Albert Einstein. What time did I write? Did that guy write? <laughs> okay, um, <clears throat> private life of Albert Einstein. Well, I think the interesting thing about Albert Einstein in the young days was that his life was so messed up and so confused yeah and it, it just brings me joy that the world is able to take a guy that was that messed up and you write about it in your book uh, you know, totally off the rails and then he goes and changed the whole world and you know his discoveries have affected us even now like your GPS requires the, the theory of relativity to, to, to get accurate results mm. lasers and stuff like that that comes from his theories mm, mm. I just love the fact that you know, he was a mess, man. He was a mess. And, you know, he wasn't that good in terms of his personal life, but he was really good at uh, uh, setting vision for the world. Mm. You know, it's an interesting contrast. And, and it's something an entrepreneur needs to think about is how much dedication they're going to give to their personal life versus what they're going to give to the, to, to, to the rest of the world. And I think, so true. you know, so I mean, true. look at, look, look at, look at, is this, this is going to be public. Look at, <laughs> look at Elon, right? You know, his, his, his life is not all that um, yeah. stable, right? Yeah, yeah. So his personal life. His yeah. personal well, life. and his, and his and it, Yeah, life. but yeah. it's, you know, he's done pretty well on that level. So I think it's always interesting when you admire someone to look at their personal life as well mm. and see what they're sacrificing and mm. see if that fits with who you want to be. Mm. What's it like living in China without speaking the language? Uh, shit, man. Um... <coughs> I mean, these are good questions. This guy sent in. Yeah, he's fuck me. <laughs> um, what's it like? It's it's a really big challenge, and it's it's fascinating to hear a whole new culture, 
and try to work your way in there because it really challenges your assumptions about about what about how the world has to be and I think an entrepreneur needs to do that they're always looking for the change about how the world may, may be and I think that's why you get a lot of foreign successful entrepreneurs 50% of the people in Silicon Valley who go on to be have a big uh, big company are foreign entrepreneurs something about foreigners in a new land mm. they challenge themselves that wow this is how their world is Wow, and they have to understand it from first principles mm, mm. and then work out how they could possibly change it. So, mm. so it's fascinating being there and having to reconstruct my life mm. from, you know, from, from you know, a bunch of guys that, that have you know, habits that I don't share. Mm. <laughs> like, you know, have you ever seen them spit on the street and all that? Oh man, China, that's a whole other world. <laughs> I love it. I love China. I love China. Episode 191, that is a wrap. Mr. Peter Davison, thank you so much Welcome, for man. joining us. Welcome. Um, the final question that guy on my Facebook asked is, he <laughs> said, he, this guy is a bit of a loose cannon, is it safe having him on the show? Now, mm. I think that's to be determined. That's the question yes. for you guys today in the what comments did below. Did you enjoy this format? And did you enjoy this discussion with Peter Davison? Do you want to see us have more guests on the show? You guys tell us and specifically... Do you love Mr. Peter Davison? Because I certainly do, mate. Thanks for Thank joining you, us. Appreciate You're welcome. it. See you guys in the next episode. See you guys. Good luck. So what that means right now is my head's in the cloud, my feet tied.